Welcome to Lymphedema Podcast. I'm Betty Westbrook, a certified lymphedema therapist and the voice behind Lymphedema Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to provide answers and explanations for people affected by the lymphatic disease, lymphedema. This podcast is for patients, family members, medical professionals, and anyone interested in lymphedema. Each month, I will discuss a new topic related to this disease to help you learn more and navigate better your journey ahead. Between shows, you can catch me on IGTV or Instagram TV, as well as monthly live Q&A sessions. I'm so passionate about teaching others about lymphedema that I created this podcast just for you. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're ready to learn something new today. Disclaimer, as a certified lymphedema therapist, all information provided is based on my professional experiences and education. I recommend that anyone who feels they have lymphedema or have been medically diagnosed with lymphedema seek in-person medical treatment from a certified lymphedema therapist. Hey, Lymphedema Podcasters. This is Brittany Williams, founder of Bryland's Feet Foundation, the first and only nonprofit specific to pediatric lymphedema in the world. If you are looking for a way to give back to the lymphedema community, why not support the youngest warriors fighting lymphedema? This August, we are hosting our annual fundraiser, and it's virtual, so that means everyone can get involved. For more information, please visit brylandsfeet.org slash gala. That's B-R-Y-L-A-N-S-F-E-A-T dot org slash gala. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 84 of the Lymphedema Podcast. My name is Olivia Eggers. I'm 24 years old. I live in Boston, and I was born with primary lymphedema. On today's episode of the Lymphedema Podcast, I'm going to share my own experiences, my story, but with a specific emphasis on pediatric lymphedema and how pediatric lymphedema can tie into mental illness, into body image issues, and how society and the language we use, as well as the medical system, can continue to perpetuate and aggravate uh, mental illness and body image issues in children with disabilities. Lymphedema Podcast is sponsored by Eros Medical, Bryland's Feet Foundation, Juzo, Medi USA, and the National Lymphedema Network. This podcast would not be possible without these wonderful sponsors. Be sure to go show them some love by visiting their pages that are linked on the Lymphedema Podcast website. You can also find more information about each of these sponsors on my resources page. My journey with lymphedema over the past 24 years has been a complex, emotional, convoluted, just roller coaster um, that has occurred. As I said before, my lymphedema was onset from infancy. Because of my lymphedema, actually, I was an emergency C-section baby. Uh, Since my lymphatic system had not formed properly in the womb, all of the fluid in my body had gone to my head while I was upside down in the womb. And because of that, I got stuck in the birthing canal and an emergency C-section operation uh, proceeded. Uh, My dad says that once I was removed from the womb, my head resembled a bowling ball. Um, So that's nice, thanks dad. (laughs) But upon removing me and seeing the baby for the first time, 
The doctors were unsure what was going on with me. They thought that maybe I might have Down syndrome just because of the way that I looked. But also they were like, maybe you're just a chunky baby. They just told my parents that I was fat and that there was not much more they could do in terms of diagnosis. My parents took me home thinking that they might have, you know, this healthy but fluffy baby um, and that was not the case because immediately they noticed that all of the fluid in my head had started to go down my body and really gather on the left side of my body and especially in both of my legs and my feet so my legs and my feet were very swollen. My parents would take me to doctors and the doctors would just repeat, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Eggers, you just have a fat baby. But no, I actually had primary lymphedema. I was diagnosed at nine months old by Dr. Witte with primary lymphedema and that kicked off a whole life of complex feelings, pain management, lots of medical treatments, um, and just a lot of confused emotions, I would say, because of my lymphedema. Um, now, big things to know about me is I actually grew up in a military family, and I'm the oldest of four, so my family was often moving. We would really only stay in the same place for two to three years, which means it's hard to find consistent long-term medical care for a child with a disability. Disability. The other interesting thing that I noticed as a child was that no matter where we went, whether it was Hawaii, whether it was New York, Virginia, the culture around my lymphedema was always going to be the same. Everyone would regard me in a similar way of there is something wrong with this child and it is not attractive and it is not good and that was a big part of my life for a very long time it was honestly incredibly interesting just to see how you know cultures would change in certain ways demographics would change as we would move but this ableism and this pervasive sort of understanding of my condition as a negative thing stayed consistent no matter where we went and i think that's a very difficult thing for a child to grow up with uh, as many lengthies know from an early age i started doing manual lymph drainage we were doing bandaging compression i had compression stockings on i was wearing reed sleeves at night which were basically big I guess, I guess we'll just say sleeves. I don't know what else to call them. And they have foam inside and it helps to break down your fibrotic tissue that has occurred and just helps to make sure the fluid is moving so the swelling is less aggravated in my body. This all to say though, that there was a lot that was being done to try to treat my condition, but it was also very overwhelming to deal with as a five-year-old. You know, you have all of these contraptions that you have to fit into putting on compression stockings every day there were a lot of doctor's appointments and many of those doctor's appointments would not end up being that helpful because as many lymphies will relate there is not a huge understanding of lymphedema in the medical community um, and we're seeing you know activists and advocates try to change that so that more medical professionals are aware of lymphedema but also because i was born in 1997 
there weren't a lot of cases, as far as we know, with primary lymphedema in children. So more often than not, medical professionals would just be like, I do not know what is wrong with this child, and they would send us on our way. My parents would always have to explain what was going on, what lymphedema was, so on and so forth, and there would be a lot of invalidation. And even though I was a child, I still felt that invalidation. Even if I didn't necessarily understand what the medical professionals were saying, I would see how they regarded me, see how they looked at me, view how they kind of would touch me and my limbs that were affected. And that had a very negative lasting impact, I think, on my self-esteem and my own perception of my body, which is hard to deal with. And that was just in the medical community. Now, when it came to actual society, there there were a lot of factors that contributed to my own negative understanding of myself. Now, since lymphedema is not that well known, but is becoming more known, especially recently, um, over the past few years, which has been amazing, but at the start, for me, it was a lot of confusion from other people, other kids, other adults, teachers, anyone you can think of, People were always taken aback by my condition. I would attend classmates' sleepovers only for the parents to panic upon meeting me. And they would call my parents, you know, in this like fury of worry and everything you can think of. And they'd be like, your child is swollen. Something is wrong. She doesn't look right. And I would stand there in the middle of the sleepover listening to this being said on the phone while my classmates who I was trying to befriend and become closer to would just stare at me as their parents would say all of these things about my body that was negative. And of course, I do not think any of these parents had negative intentions. Many adults were just simply trying to make sure that I was okay but the way they approached it and the things that they would say about my body you know I heard those things I internalized them and that stuck with me for a very very long time it was very difficult there are a few things that happen with children with disabilities that I think that we need to have more of a conversation on and I dealt with all of these factors that I'm about to name The first few things that would happen um, involve a lot of pity. Upon meeting me and hearing about my condition, usually being shared by my parents because I was too ashamed to talk about my lymphedema, I would receive a lot of pity. More often than not, when I tell someone that I have lymphedema, their response after understanding what it is is, oh my god, that sucks, I'm so sorry. And that's not a great thing to tell people. I think we need to stop. I think instead the better reaction would be, oh, thank you for telling me about this condition. That must have caused a lot of hardships in your life, and I appreciate your honesty and the transparency. That's a great thing to say, rather than, your body sucks, your condition is terrible. That is not a good thing to say to a child, because you really do start to internalize that. So pity was big. I always felt like I was being pitied and that's not good for a person's self-esteem because I really just took on this mindset of I suck and I am terrible and everyone seems to feel that way about me, kids and adults alike. And it wasn't them saying that I was terrible, but more that they were very fearful of this medical condition that I had that they did not fully understand. So pity is a really big thing. Other things that would happen is there was a lot of infantilization for 
for me. Um, I would meet people and my parents would end up telling them about my condition, you know, whether it was like a skiing class or whatever it may be, just to make sure instructors and teachers were aware. And I would then proceed to be treated like an actual baby. They would start talking to me very slowly as if I didn't understand what they were saying. They would make sure that I was not doing what other kids were doing out of fear that I could hurt myself. And so I would be a 10 year old kid being treated like a toddler. And that is also not great for a child's self-esteem, obviously. Other things that would happen is I would often be paraded around as a trophy, you know, like this disabled child, this rare condition that no one understands. Feast your eyes on her world. She is weird. She is strange, abnormal. Take a look at the freak show. And more often than not, that would be, you know, older people kind of using me for their own savior complex of this disabled child that I am working very, very hard to keep afloat, so on, so forth. And that's not something that I needed in my life. It is never fun to be paraded around like a trophy. It was actually very isolating and ostracizing, and it only further contributed to how others who did not know me as well would view me. So pity, infantilization, and being paraded around as a trophy were very, very difficult things that I dealt with. There was also the flip side of being a child with a disability where there was a lot of invalidation. Sometimes people just would not believe that I had this condition, slash they would project their own negative understanding of it onto me. They'd be like, oh, you are the problem. And this did occur a lot with medical professionals, which was not terrific. Um, I had more than one medical professional say to me during my childhood that my food intake, my exercising habits were the reason that my body looked the way it did. I would always, you know, get a slip on my BMI saying that I was obese, morbidly obese on more than one occasion. And I would try to explain, you know, like I have this lymphatic condition that leaves me with just a ton of excess water weight in my system only to be told, no, your eating is the problem. And that really stuck with me. I mean, I remember as a nine-year-old only taking fruit with me to school to eat for lunch because I so wanted to break this stigma of my body was my problem and it was because of how I would eat and how I would exercise. And that really stays with a child. Let me tell you, especially when you reach your teenage years as a teenage girl, I was like, I can't eat anything basically, because that will neg negatively affect my lymphedema. And obviously, that's not great. That is disordered eating. And that is something that, you know, as a 24 year old, I am still working to overcome. But I developed all of these really bad habits over my childhood, because of how others would treat and perceive my body. So I'm currently working very hard to <laughs> overtake those habits so that I am living 
a lifestyle that is healthier for me in terms of my brain rather than just looking at my body because I think that's something that we forget about a lot. When a child has a physical disability, there's a lot of time spent on seeking medical treatment, on getting the help we need, on really trying to fix the body. And while everyone was focused on fixing my body, I was internalizing that in my brain, you know, just this idea of something is very wrong with me. And that led to chronic anxiety, I have depression, suicidal ideation, all of those things occurred because of how I felt that society looked at me. Another aspect of my lymphedema that I think is important to talk about is I've been told that my case of lymphedema is very rare and extreme. I have lymphedema across my entire body except for in my abdomen and my chest, but I have been told by medical professionals that as I get older, my lymphedema could spread to areas that have not been affected previously, which is not really like a fun life sentence to get as a 12-year-old, but I guess it had to happen. But I do have distinct memories of being 11 or 12 at the doctor's office. I was misdiagnosed with Melroy's disease. And during the same appointment, the two doctors ended up saying, you know, by the time you're 30, 35, you might be wheelchair bound, which is not terminology that I like. It is terminology that we have moved away from. Instead, it would be it would be a person in a wheelchair. Um or they said that I could end up needing to have my leg amputated. And as an 11-year-old, I was like, oh God, like, oh no, that's not great news. And that really stuck with me because I felt like I actually had this death sentence with my lymphedema, but so few people and doctors were willing to help with it because of a lack of understanding surrounding this condition. And so I just felt hopeless. I was like, the rest of my life is simply going to suck. And that only further aggravated the mental illness that I was facing and continue to face now. I think when we are giving children these diagnoses and telling them about their futures, we also need to make sure that we're asking the kid how they're doing. How is their brain? It's very overwhelming to be going through constant medical treatment, to have to be wrapped up and to deal with bullies at school and teachers being ignorant and just everything that comes with having lymphedema. But on top of that, to then go into doctor's offices, have your entire body criticized for the way it looks and then just be sent on your way with all of these negative predictions for your future without anyone just saying hey Olivia how are you how is 12 year old you feeling right now it must be very very difficult to have this rare condition and to deal with it do you want to talk about your mental health never happened it was always about my physical health. And I think something we really need to work on changing is this idea of we need to prioritize mental health along with physical health. We need to make sure that children are getting the care they need because growing up with a rare disease is incredibly traumatic. It is very, very difficult. I now as a 24 year old am trying to unpack all of this trauma that had built up in my body and my brain that just continues to impact the way I am. Like I can't wear anything that is not jeans because I'm worried about how others will look at 
at me. I don't like to be touched by others because of how others would yank at my arms when I was a child. Every time I go to a doctor's appointment, I have an anxiety attack because I've just had so many negative experiences in a medical office. And I also want to emphasize that this is not me saying the medical system is terrible and all doctors are terrible. No, this is me saying the culture that we have integrated into our medical system and into our perception of disability is actually the problem. And we need to move away from this medical view of disability, which is that the person with the disability is the issue and they are the other and they need to adapt to society, when in reality, we need to be thinking about how society can actually work to accommodate a person with a disability, how medical professionals can work to make sure that their patients feel not only supported, but taken care of, feel safe in their care. Because I think more often than not, we're like, we see this negative thing in a person and we must fix that. We have to cure it. It needs to be taken care of when for many people like myself, a cure is not necessarily possible. It might never be a thing. So I was told time and time again, you know, this awful thing about me is never going to go away. Good luck. And my brain was like, awesome. I suck. I am terrible. And no one is ever going to like me or love me. And that was very, very hard to deal with. I don't think that any child should ever have the mindset of no one is ever going to love me because I truly did believe that for about 22 years. And that wasn't good. It wasn't, it wasn't great for my self-esteem or my growing as a child. My least favorite word in the world is the word despite, because my entire life, people would talk about my positive attributes, like my intelligence or my humor, whatever it may be. It was always focused on my personality because there was nothing positive to talk about in terms of my externality, which is once again, not great develops a lot of body image issues. Um, but more often than not, I would hear, you know, others commending me on my accomplishments and being like, you did this, despite this terrible disease that you have, despite this awful illness that you're living with, despite, 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 despite. And I was like, geez, thanks. But also, my lymphedema is a big part of me. It's not something that I can necessarily separate myself from. It will always be there with me. And so hearing that I was doing great things despite this very large part of me made me hate my lymphedema. I hated how I looked. I hated my body. I hated that I had it. Um, and that led to some issues with self-harm because I was very upset with the way my body looked and felt like it was this negative part of me. And I really, really tried to separate my lymphedema from myself, which was very hard to do because as we say, or slash as we know, lymphedema is often visible. Um, it's a visible disability that others will see. So I tried to pretend like it didn't exist, but it did exist and others saw it and others commented on it and the shame and the embarrassment that I felt for the way I looked really, really, really stuck with me. And so 
I think something that we can work on as a society is the language that we use and the way that we talk about disabilities, especially in children. We do not want to give a child with a disability a harder life because of the way that others will perceive them. We need to stop using the word despite. My lymphedema is part of me. It is not despite. It is with my lymphedema. My accomplishments have occurred. And the way we, as I had said before, interact with disability it shouldn't be to say that something about someone sucks that's that's not a positive rhetoric to use in any way it will not help a child feel more comfortable in themselves or their bodies it can be really detrimental to their mental health and can stick with a person for the rest of their life I think is something I really want to emphasize here. We as a society tend to look at disability, look at rare illnesses as this negative crux of our humanity, when in reality, disability is a good thing. Biodiversity in our genes helps the human race continue to progress. It is good for our evolution to have these unique differences. It is good, but we simply see disability as this really awful negative thing. Um, my senior year of college, I wrote my college thesis on how it is really important for us to view disability in the same way that we view love. Because we see love as this very positive thing in society. It is wanted. Everyone wants to be in love at some point slash to experience love. While very few want to experience disability. Disability is this negative crux. It is this otherness, this alterity that we are not able to escape. And I think we need to instead change our view on disability and instead work to love disability and combine disability with love in a way that would just I think changed the structure of our society to be a more empathetic and caring one. We have so many things that we can be doing better. Something I like to think about and take with me every day is when I meet other people and they do not look the way I expect them to look or maybe they do not behave the way I expect them to look, I try to think to myself, okay, but why do I expect them to be a certain way? And it's because of internal biases. It's because of things that we have internalized over our lives that were taught to us in a way. You know, like people look like this, people do this. And if you break outside of that, you are wrong you are bad, you are going to be exiled, whatever it may be, we need to change that. So now when I meet someone and they don't look the way I expect them to look, I go, well, why did you expect them to look a certain way, Olivia? Why is that your thought pattern? And instead, I try to go, oh, cool, this person doesn't look the way I expect them to look just like me. And that's awesome because we're out here simply living our authentic lives. And I think that is a huge, huge step towards progressive action and towards <clears throat> and also towards a more collective understanding of care and kindness instead of ostracizing someone for the thing about them that is not quote unquote normal we could make them feel included. We can change our society to be more accommodating. We know we have the resources to do this, but we just fail to 
include people with disabilities because of this internalized idea that disability is such a negative thing. And that is something that we really need to move away from because it will continue to cause generations of children with disabilities to feel like they are one, not worth it, and to feel like they will never be able to do anything I guess feet worthy that others would view as positive. So as we wrap up the end of this podcast episode, I would like the audience to take a few things with them. One, if you meet someone and they do not look or behave the way you expect them to, you should one, not say that something about them sucks. That is never a great idea. You can ask questions as long as you're not being invasive and the person seems willing to answer the questions and you can change your internal thought processes to be less exclusive and to be less, I guess, and to combat the idea of compulsory able-bodiedness, which is actually coined by Robert McRuer at the George Washington University, um, which is this idea that being able-bodied is the norm, just like being heterosexual is the norm in society. We need to stop that. (laughs) because people are people and people are different. They come in all different shapes, sizes, colors, whatever it may be. We all have differences that make us unique and make us special. And instead of society, you know, writing out all of the ways a person should be, we should think about instead all of what we can be as a society with our diversity, with our, you know, uniqueness, with the alterity that might be there. And I think that would make us just a more understanding world. It can only benefit us. So with that, thank you for tuning into this episode of the Lymphedema podcast. You can hear my cat in the background going crazy. I hope you enjoyed that as well. And we'll see you next time. Thank you to Betty for allowing me the opportunity to share my story and get some of my ideas out there. I appreciate it. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you, Olivia, for sharing your personal journey with lymphedema as a kid, now as an adult, and the lasting effects it's had on your mental health your confidence, and your body image. If you haven't noticed already, it's not just me today. You've got me and my little boy Holt here. And we just want to quickly thank all of the guest hosts for coming on and sharing your stories this month. You guys have been so instrumental in helping to diversify the message here on Lymphedema Podcast. In the beginning of today's episode, we had a commercial from Brittany of Bryland's Feet Foundation. If you have not yet joined a fundraising team and Olivia's story resonates with you and you want to help support and promote that mission of improving children's mental health as well as their physical health, please support Bryland's Feet Foundation. I have seen nothing but fabulous help, results, resources, and support come from this organization. I am fortunate enough to be the founder and director of Camp Watch Me, where we support the family, we support the child, top to bottom, mind, body, soul. We really do provide a holistic approach to their camp experience. 
So please, if you haven't joined a team already, go to my Instagram page and look in my bio and there you will see the link to join Team Westbrook. Yes, Holt, you're right. It's just in a couple more weeks. That's right. It's going to be on August 28th and it'll be virtual so you can watch it there. Oh, I know, you can't wait to watch. But it's past your bedtime, Holt. You won't be able to stay up. All right, guys. Well, I just want to leave you with these words from Mother Teresa. Loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. This podcast is here for you to find friendship and a community for your journey with lymphedema. I hope you enjoyed learning more about Olivia's experience and the message she has about mental health with people who have lymphedema, especially children. Email me with your story if you would like to share lymphedemapodcast at gmail.com or visit the website lymphedemapodcast.com to submit a topic for another episode.